For those of you who have lost money, like millions overnight. For those of you who are or have been in personal debt. For those of you who have been at rock bottom, ready to give up. Get ready because it's gonna get a whole lot worse. And that's a great thing. This is Below Zero to Hero, a brain dump by The Fail Coach, helping entrepreneurs develop a healthy relationship with failure. Look, failure can't be feared. It's the number one killer of creativity, ideas, dreams, and even entrepreneurs themselves. And it's thought will never get in your way again. With the right mindset, failure can be step one into a new journey of being a better leader, having better balance, better relationships, and most importantly, success. So bring it on. This is Below Zero to Hero with The Fail Coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Brain Dump by The Fail Coach episode. We have another interview, and today we have Kim Ransom here with us. Um, Kim, uh, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what it is that you do? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me today. So I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I primarily am an entrepreneur within the competitive sports arena. So for me, that looks like gymnastics and Olympic weightlifting. So I have been an athlete, a coach, and then a um, gymnastics facility owner twice. And I've also developed a few retail companies, uh, one of which I've sold another of which I still own and operate, as well as uh, recently I have turned to consulting with other gym owners um, as my primary work because that's really where my heart lies now. Okay, okay. Well, how, how do you help other gym owners? What it is that you're helping them with? Is it um, setting down uh, certain systems so that they can grow or uh, what's what's the thing that you help them with? So typically we see that in our industry, people will open gyms because they love the sport or they're passionate about children or they just assume that this would be the next step in their career in gymnastics. You know, they might not know exactly what they want to do or what they're good at, but they know that they just want to work in gymnastics. So they'll open a gym. It's pretty common, you know, that they'll either invest quite a large amount of money buying a whole bunch of equipment up front, or, you know, they, they've just invested a lot of their own time and resources and time and resources from their family into starting this gym. And then they get into it and they realize oh my gosh, this is not just cartwheels and handstands and backflips. This is a lot of work. This is a lot of time. I'm feeling like I'm in a rut. I'm in a cycle. You know, they typically don't pay themselves, um, you know, which in turn creates problems at home. And it's just a giant spiral. And then before too long, you know, we see kind of the average shelf life of a new gym somewhere between three and five years. And then at the end of it, you know, you have all these little kids that have gotten attached to you and these families that have really prioritized you as a part of their life, and you have to close because you're burnout, you don't know what to do, and you just can't, you can't do it anymore. So what I do is I come in, I take a look at what you've got going, and then we sit down and we start from scratch. We learn about business from day one, how to build a solid foundation for your gym, how to implement the right systems for you, how to make sure you're actually paying yourself, taking yourself off the schedule, because that's another common factor. Most gym owners are still coaching 70% of the classes, you know, and it, it can't work that way. 
So we kind of come in and we just, we reverse engineer it. You know, we decide what our goals are going to be, what you want your version of success to look like. And then we start over and we build your systems and we build a framework to support that and get there and become profitable. That's the most important thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's very important. (laughs) Uh, Kim, you mentioned building solid foundations. Can you can you walk us through what those solid foundations for a gym owner are and how do you build that up? Well, there are a few big buckets that we need to focus on. Um, a couple of them revolve around the service delivery, sales and marketing, um, your cash flow management, and then your plan for staff growth. So those are the, you know, four of the the larger chunks that we really attack. And then from there, if you think of those as kind of an umbrella, we have our tactics underneath those. So tactics might be something that you see, uh, you know, I'm in the gym industry. So all the Facebook ads that I see are, you know, lead generation and do this to get 100 new people a week walking through your doors, all that that kind of stuff, that would be a tactic. So we're really looking at how to build solid, um, solid big rocks with tactics underneath that are going to support those solid big rocks, if that makes sense. So whereas lots of times, you know, you see consulting companies and coaches out there kind of selling one piece of the pie, we're learning not to focus on those small rocks, but we're learning how to build a big giant foundation in each of those areas by putting together those tactics that really support your goals in your business. No, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, yes, I see a lot of that in the business coaching industry as well. Uh, I'll help you scale ads. I'll help you scale sales. But uh, none of that will really help if you don't have the whole foundation laid out in all of your key areas, all of your key processes. And when you're preparing to scale you need to prepare all your major uh big rocks in 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 the whole process because otherwise one part will scale the other one will not catch up and then bam the next day you can even go into bankruptcy because uh, you weren't thinking about other parts of the business as well so i uh, very much agree with you on that yeah and it's Uh, so Oh, sorry, if I could add no, one, go more, ahead. Go one ahead. more. Go thing. ahead. Yeah, it's so I feel so bad for these new gym owners out there because it can be so easy to get distracted by all the bells and whistles and shiny things out there that are really, you know, when you don't know what you don't know, you tend to get uh, you chase the shiny object, right? And it leads you down a path that might not be the best path for you and keeps you in that cycle. And so you feel like, oh, well, that didn't work for me. Therefore, there's nothing I can do you know, there's no hope for me. And that's what makes me super sad is that these gym owners impact so many kids and have such a potential to do so much, uh, you know, have so much great impact on these children and these families. And and we just keep them in these cycles. So um, yeah, I'm passionate about this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, you also like to talk and and help others on how to avoid burnout and and it's kind of connected what with what you already told us like laying down solid foundation preparing for growth uh taking yourself out of in the business but you know let, let's talk more about how what are your top suggestions or your top tips 
on how to avoid burnout as a business owner? Yeah, well, there are, I have a few. Um, number one, you can't do this alone. I find that a lot of people have the mindset that they need to do all of the things, do all of the work, coach all of the classes until they have this magic surplus of money, and then they'll hire somebody. But it doesn't work that way. You have to be able to hire early. You have to hire in preparation, always be recruiting, um, you know, taking yourself off of the the coaching schedule in my in my area is something that you have to proactively uh, plan for and make happen. It doesn't just fall in your lap. So knowing that building a team from day one is a must, that's huge. Um, number two is just drawing boundaries for yourself because it's super easy for us type A entrepreneurs and business owners to get carried away because there seems like there's always something else that we need to do. There's always something else that we could do better. Um, it's it's really easy to work and find work to do. But if you don't create those boundaries in your schedule and in your calendar and you know find people in your life to hold you accountable for that, it's really easy just to work, work, work. And that's not healthy either. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> tell me something. I think so the the. Uh, audience of this podcast is people who are most likely in the early stages of entrepreneurship. So they are right where you know they should be already starting to think about building a team. And I know that this scares a lot of people. You know, uh, do I will I pick the right person? Uh, what do I delegate first? Uh, what are some other uh, well, well do, do you have any common struggles of, of people before they start building a team? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I on my podcast, I just did an episode on this. <laughs> I think maybe okay. maybe two weeks ago. Um, you know, I talked about knowing what to delegate and how to find those people. And I think we have to remember that there's a perfect scenario for everyone. You know, it, it's kind of like, dating. <laughs> there, there's a person for everyone. And it's the same in, in the workspace. Just because you think that you might not have a great package to offer someone, you know, that's a limiting belief. And there might be someone out there that only wants to work five hours a week from home as a virtual assistant. Or there might be someone out there who's willing to work as an intern just to gain knowledge. Uh, there are fantastic apps nowadays that can match you up with interns virtually um, and interns with experience. You know, these aren't don't assume that these are people that don't know what they're doing. There are people out there who are willing to work for you in a business setting who already have social media skills and marketing and maybe some light business knowledge. So my suggestion is to really sit down and make a list of what you're spilling, spending your days on. What kinds of tasks are you fulfilling that might be something that an entry-level worker could do or might be something that isn't in your genius zone, something you're not good at? Um, those are the things that we want to take off your plate first so you can free up your time to go publish or create the content that only you can make, okay? So the things that that somebody else can do, well, obviously, those are the things that you want to be outsourcing or delegating. So if you have, if you can afford somebody for five hours a week, that's fantastic. That's a great start because that's five hours a week that you can spend on other content that might generate you more money to then reinvest in 
more VAs or more interns or whatever it's going to be. Or even to just relax a little bit more so that you are relaxed and more energized and so that you can work better um, when when you do work. So it's it's equally... Uh, it's equally important because sometimes those little tasks that we are not good at um, can suck the energy out of us, and then we aren't uh, we don't bring bring our A game to the tasks where we need to bring that A game because those little stuff uh, that little stuff took the energy out of us. So uh, even if it's just for resting, it, it's quite okay uh, to, to hire somebody to do what you hate. I mean, I know there's plenty of things operationally in a business that I hate doing. I mean, I know how to do it, but um, it takes me a whole lot of time. And just to get myself to do that, it's, it's wow, uh, exhausting. And, and then I'm not as good in the other parts as I would be if I would delegate those. And that's why I do delegate them, of course. Uh, Absolutely. How, how would you um, make it easier for somebody to make their first hire? Like, how would you suggest we should approach uh, finding maybe that first, second person where we are probably full of doubts whether that person can do the job correctly or okay? Um, how do we eliminate any possible, you know, uh, disclosure of information outside of the company? Because those are some real struggles that uh, new entrepreneurs have, is how to onboard somebody in a way that they will be beneficial, because there is, I think, just this uh, fear that uh, a lot of bad things might happen in the process. So what would be some of your suggestions, how to go about it? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure I've ever run across anyone that was scared of, of the first hire. But what I would say is that it depends on the position you're hiring for. If you're looking for somebody who already works in a capacity that they're dealing with other people's confidential information frequently, those people are going to expect to get some sort of a legal document from you. So they're probably going to assume that you want them to sign a non-disclosure. And if you have proprietary information or something that's crucial that nobody else knows about, well, then you absolutely want them to sign a non-disclosure, first and foremost. Um, I know that when I hired in my gym, um, these were I was hiring for hourly positions, and these were people who would have access to both the children in person, but then also uh, parents' credit card data and addresses and phone numbers and bio data, just because that was all housed in our database. Okay. We did have them sign confidentiality agreements and that protected us. So we took safety measures from in-house to kind of mitigate any of that risk. But I think overall, you know, a lot of it depends on what you're doing in the hiring process as well. So having really solid um, interview guides and having an established process, you know, maybe you're having somebody else do the phone screen with relevant questions that are going to let them know that you'll be checking references. Um, and then if you decide to bring them in and do an in-person interview, if this is an, an in-person physical position, then you want to be asking questions that are getting at past experiences and behaviors, such as, um, you know, tell me about a time when you worked with 
uh, data on a, a high a high stakes confidential project? How did you handle that? What did you do? And you're going to be able to draw a lot of information just based off their storytelling. That's a, a pretty good tip. Um, and then lastly, you know, most people will only give you references that are going to be favorable, but you would be surprised how many references I've checked that I don't think went as they assumed. <laughs> so um, yeah, don't be afraid. You know, it's a little bit old school, but you still have to check references nowadays too. Okay. Um, when it comes to having an HR system in place, do you have any recommendations? Because, you know, if, if um, I haven't been in business before and this is my first time uh, trying to hire somebody, I mean, you know, when you say, oh, you need to have a solid uh, uh, system in place, that sounds good. And I, I know exactly what you mean because I've hired a whole lot of people in my past. Uh, but to somebody who's completely new, how can they even come up with a good hiring system without any knowledge? Um, do you know any, um, I don't know, resources that you would recommend, like a book or a program or something, what they can do so that they can put a solid system in place? Yeah. So, you know, the thing with that is that I think you can you can create systems that are super detailed and then you can create very loosely based broad systems. And this is what I mean. A system is just a, a timeline or a process of actions that you repeat over time. Okay. And the reason we make systems is because we want to be able to compare apples to apples every time we're bringing in new data, if that makes sense. So you can have a very intricate, detailed hiring system, or you can just have a, a series of three or four steps that you're following to achieve the same every single time. Here's an example. You can look at your job and say, okay, I'm hiring for a coach. I know that to be a successful coach, I need to have these five competencies, okay? So they need to be reliable, uh, happy. I don't, I'm just making these up. Uh, have great technical knowledge, have a great motivational fit, and I don't know, love the color blue, whatever it's going to be. So you know that the questions that you're designing for your interview guide that you're going to use the exact same every single time you interview somebody, you know that all of your questions are going to be based on those five competencies. Maybe then you're going to make a score key, okay? You can buy all of these things online, but you can also make this up in-house based off your own job analysis. You don't have to pay for these things in the beginning, okay? You're still going to get good results if you're using your own systems and processes the same way every time you're interviewing someone. So you can make a score key that says, okay, I'm going to give this person the highest rating if they're giving me examples that look like this. Okay, I'm going to give this person a three if they're giving me examples that look like this and so on and so on. So if you are basing your judgment on hiring candidates the same, going through your process the same way every single time, that's also a great system that you don't need to pay for. Now you can go out and bring in outside resources um, to do a job analysis, write your own hiring guides for your own company. Uh, you can have them give you personality assessments to install as a portion of your hiring system. You can get as fancy as you want to, um, but typically, you, you know, you you don't 
have it in your budget to spend your money and your resources on something as detailed as that until you grow and scale later down the line. So in the beginning, I would suggest that you actually don't need to spend money on that. You can create these processes that you can repeat on your own in-house. Okay. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I would just add one more thing to what you've described right now. Um, yes, competences, skills, all of that is, is really important. Uh, but also, uh, when I'm hiring, I'm always hiring values over skills. So skills, in a way, can, can still be learned pretty quickly if somebody has the hunger for it. Uh, but the values of a person uh, will rarely be changed, uh, especially from anybody on the outside. If they want to change, they will change, but otherwise uh, they will not. And often my problems with employees were not so much on the skills when it was more uh, on a human basis uh, because our values were crashing or they weren't the right fit for the company culture I was creating and, and so on. So um, look at as well at the soft side, not just the hard side of who somebody is. So um, I just think that's very important part uh, when we talk about the hiring. But okay, so <clears throat> let's say that we made our first few hires. Uh, and so we liberated a little bit of our time. Um, and we created some room for innovation in, in, in our industry. Um, and I know that you like talking about uh, creating room for innovation. Um, tell us a little bit about that. How does that look like? Usually when I'm thinking about innovation, I kind of frame it uh, in a way that I'm looking for gaps in the market. So our, when we look around our industries, there are usually some key players or maybe some legacy folks that have started the industry or our key mentors, you know, and sometimes we can find that our industries fall into a rut or a typical pattern or cycle. And, you know, there aren't many disruptors out there. So I'm looking around for holes in the industry that I can shake up. What where are some assumed culture nuances or what are some givens in our industries that we can tweak? Um for example, in my industry in gymnastics, typically gyms have a pro shop, okay? And this is just a very small example, but typically gyms will sell retail items inside their gym. Well, guess what? It's 2020 and we all have the internet. So parents aren't buying retail items in the gym anymore because of the markup that we have to pass on in order to make a profit, right? So they're going online and they're buying leotards. And I thought, well, hey, I'm missing out on a giant piece of revenue from retail. So how can I get that back? And I spent a lot of time asking myself questions. What can I do different? What can I replicate? What am I seeing? What are some trends? What can I try? And I just start by asking a lot of questions and brain dumping on a piece of paper. I'm kind of a visual person, so I might sketch out some things and you know map out some circles and dots and lines. But ultimately, I came up with, why don't I try a subscription box? If I'm trying to reach people nationally and get them to buy leotards and maybe not just in my gym or my city, how can I reach them nationally? Well, subscription boxes are really popular right now. Why don't I try that? So I did some research and and saw that there wasn't really anyone out there doing this, so I might as well give it a whirl. Um, and at the time, that was pretty innovative for our industry. So I would suggest that people sit down and look at their field of play and try and figure out some ways that they can disrupt the givens 
you know, um, what needs are not being met? What do their customers talk about or complain about? What's really popular in their field? And maybe how can we replicate the popular trends of their field in a new way? Um, And then I would tie that back to creating room on your plate to even have time to spend on that. Because I will tell you in the beginning, um, when I was first starting my, my gym, my second gym, I did not have time to spend on all of these extra things. But once I had hired enough employees to free up some space in my calendar, you know, I was able to spend time being innovative again. Okay, Kim, that, that was a really wonderful example. Um, I don't know, do you have any other examples that you could share with us, you know, just so that we stir up the brainstorming juices in our audience? Sure. I think there are a lot of ways that you can fulfill innovation in your industry. But when you're looking at other examples of companies who have begun to serve new markets, you know, there are large, large examples and small examples. And, you know, you could go from creating a new company like, uh, you know, we have just started a, a new company called Outlift Singlets, where we are serving a market of older, I don't want to say older, <laughs> of masters female weightlifters, um, which is a market that hasn't been served yet. Um, Olympic weightlifting is a very fast growing sport, and the largest cohort of Olympic weightlifters now is their females. Well, we have a lot of master's female lifters, which is age 35 and above. And so we've begun a a competition singlet line aimed solely towards 35 and above. Most of the apparel and the attire that we have to wear is quite young looking. And so we do well because we create singlets that are very flattering and fitted, demure, classic, but modern and not bright pink and not glittery. And uh, they, they don't have donuts and unicorns, you know. So, so <laughs> far, that has the been the only thing available to us. Well, we've decided that on our front, it's innovative for us to serve the 35s and ups. So on a smaller scale, you know, I was thinking about a, a neighborhood funeral home that we have around here. And I saw just this week that they've decided to provide puppies to their customers in their time of grieving. I thought that was pretty darn innovative because I haven't seen anyone else around here that's really trying to improve the client experience in that way. So those those might be two different examples, but I think they're both innovative in their own way. Oh, wow. This second one, I agree. Very innovative. Um, well, Kim, I need to be mindful of, of your time and, and uh, because you have other obligations later on. But there is one more thing that got my attention when we uh, you know, chatted before we started recording. And you were mentioning something about uh, a system uh, that you've created that paid off your student loan in just 20 months as an entrepreneur. Uh, and we know how big that uh, whole uh, student loan thing is as a problem in today's society. Many people are struggling with that. So I'm sure uh, it will be very valuable probably to many who are listening uh, if we talk a little bit about that as well. Yes, I did. I will be honest, complete disclosure, the system that I created for myself is pretty detailed and aggressive and it, it takes me 
a while <laughs> to explain the whole thing. But in a nutshell, I will tell you that I based the personal system that I used off of the Profit First um, book by Mike Michalowicz. And I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with him, but he created sort of an entrepreneurial cash flow management system for business owners called Profit First. I love it. I love it so much that I tweaked it and I adapted it to fit my needs. And I used it to create a system of saving money and just kind of, you know, how I allocated my bank accounts in order to create lumps of cash to pay off my student loans. And it took me 20 months to do that. But within this system, you know, I created a a spreadsheet and kind of a hierarchy of all of the loans that I owed all of their interest rates, whether they were subsidized, unsubsidized, um, how much interest had capitalized, where I was going to get the most bang for my buck in terms of paying off the principal the quickest. And I just went to town. Um, It's not fancy. It took a lot of discipline. It took a lot of time. It was very boring. (laughs) But I did work in some ways that we were still able to take family vacations. We were still able to create a little bit of you know, cash stashed away for those instant gratification things. You know, I didn't completely stop my online shopping habit, but the base of it was just about creating habits and creating places where my income could live. And it was out of sight, out of mind, where I could just focus on revenue and making money. And then when I was ready, I took those big chunks of cash and I paid off my loans in a very systematic way that paid off all the capitalized interest first. And then I started with, you know, obviously the highest interest rates, but I paid attention to which loans were subsidized and unsubsidized. I also paid off a couple smaller loans out of sequence just to kind of give my brain a little bit of gratification along the way to let me know that I was making progress and it just made me feel good. But but in a nutshell, that that's kind of, that's what it is. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with that book as well, but uh, when you say profit first, uh, pay yourself out first, I, I can imagine towards where that's going. And uh, yeah, um, are you um, anywhere talking about, uh, more in depth about this system? Is there any place our audience can go to to... Um, hear the longer version? Sure. Um, My podcast is called Fear Free Launches. And I did a two part mini series detailing all the steps that I took on my podcast. So you can find Fear Free Launches on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the, the typical platforms. But definitely check that out if you're interested. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Well, um, Kim, who do you help nowadays? Like who from the audience um, should reach out to you if they need your help? And then, of course, what exactly it is, again, that you help them with? Well, I help anyone that needs help. So let me say that. Um, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and self-employed folks from all different industries, but my bread and butter is really anyone who works in a service-based industry, um, people who work in sports or after-school type activities like dance, CrossFit, gymnastics, cheerleading, martial arts, anyone who's providing a membership-based service business. Um, I'm able to dig in with them pretty in-depth and help them implement step-by-step how to make their business profitable. So 
that's those are my people. Those those are my folks. Okay. And what what's the best way to reach you? I mean, I have your links as well, and we will include all those links uh, in the show notes. So, but you know, what's your preferred way? Or uh, yeah, let me ask that way. So. <laughs> Where are you mostly present? I hang out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So you can find me on Facebook under Kimberly Eads Ransom. I also have the Fear Free Launches podcast page on Facebook and Instagram under the name Fear Free Launches. And then I'm on LinkedIn just under Kimberly Ransom. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Um, well, Kim... Um, my two last questions. So the number one, um, you've shared a lot of business advice so far. And I always ask my guests if they can share at least a little bit about who they are as a person. Uh, just so that you know the audience can have this little glimpse into who's on the other side. Absolutely. Well, personally, like I said, I live in Pittsburgh and I have two kids. So when I'm not working on work projects which are really just an extension, you know, those are those are my hobbies. And that's how I started to work in the sports industry, because I love gymnastics. I love Olympic, Olympic weightlifting. <laughs> and I love fitness in general. So when I'm not working on those types of things, I'm hanging out with my two kiddos, I have a little boy that is five and a little girl that is eight, and an awesome husband. That's that's pretty much my life. Sports, kids, and and family. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. That's that's perfectly fine. <laughs> and now my last question, uh, and it can be either related to what we already talked about or unrelated. What's the last golden nugget of wisdom that you would love to leave the audience with? Oh my gosh, that's that's the hardest question you've <laughs> asked me yet. <laughs> Golden nugget of wisdom is not to spread yourself too thin. You have to leave the white space in your life to do things that you enjoy. And uh, yeah, that's that's the biggest one because life is, we're here to live it and enjoy it. We're not here to work. And if you can't figure out how to create a little bit of balance in your life, then, you know, creating businesses, there's, there's not really a point in my opinion. Okay, very solid advice. Uh, Kim, um... You answered all my questions. So um, thank you for being my guest. Thank you for sharing all the knowledge with our audience. Um, and um, please um, feel free to, to reach out in the future uh, and we can jump on another podcast episode and, and see where your life is, where your business is and uh, see uh, do a follow-up episode. Uh, but other than that, um, I thank you very much for uh, being my guest and I wish you all the best on your journey. Take care. Thank you so much for, for your time today. It's been great.